Well, this uh, special music, it has says some people's <laughs> name on it, but actually the people's name that are not is yours. We're going to do this all together. <laughs> it's hymn number 632. Until then, words are on the screen. Yes, in the hymnal it's 632. <laughs> My heart can sing. When, when I pause to remember, a heartache is but a stepping stone along a trail that's winding always upward. This troubled world. Oh! 
get it. There we go. <clears throat> we live right now in some very troublous times for those of you who are watching the news. This war in the Middle East is creating a big vacuum sound, and many players from all parts of the world are starting to become involved and wanting to be involved in the factions that are even happening in our country, causing people to take sides. And it seems nobody really benefits as the bloodshed is happening. This started on October 7th, a few Sabbaths ago, about a month ago, and uh, obviously that surprise massacre of the Jews there who live in Israel was very sad and brutal. And now the war is um, happening there in Gaza, but really even in, in, um, in you know, Israel itself. But you know, when you think about it, there in the land of Israel, there are three main world religions there in Israel. And uh, the first one, of course, is that of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And we'll come back to that in a moment. And then, of course, out of that nation came a Messiah for those who were Christians. And the Christian faith was born. And finally, we find that the Islam faith has some connections there as well, which we'll talk about in a little while. But I want to take a very fast breath of broad swipe from the beginning of time and um, it's really quite interesting when you look at the scriptures at the very beginning to where this thing, this whole thing really started. You know, the Bible has about 11,000, about 1,200 chapters in it. So the Bible has a lot of chapters, about 12,000 of them. And the first chapter, 1 and 2, tell us about creation. The next chapter tells us about the fall and the entrance of sin. And then we go very quickly into 6 and 7, and it talks about the flood, the destruction, kind of the reset value of planet Earth. And then quickly into chapter 11, you get the confusion at the Tower of Babel, the separation of people and people groups going throughout the world then because of what happened there at the Tower of Babel. And then very quickly, chapter 12 comes along where it all begins with um, Adam. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but um, Abraham happens in chapter 12. So you think about it, you just have 12 chapters into the Bible and you're introduced to a very prominent person in history, Abraham, which I might add is the father of the Jewish religion, the Christian religion, and the Islamic religion. Isn't that interesting? God specifically calls Abraham or Abram, not because Abram was such a good guy, but God saw some value in him and told him to leave his home, his place of living there in the country of Haran, which is really southeastern Turkey, way up north, 
and to make his way south. So Abram's life is filled with a lot of traveling, a lot of constant wandering. He finally ends up in Egypt where he lies to the Egyptian pharaoh about his wife. He even goes to war against certain people groups. But God has a fantastic call and promise to Abram. And this is what God says. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So, we begin with Father Abraham. And this promise was given to him at age 75 years old. And by the way, he had no children. He and Sarai had no children. And yet there was a blessing that he would be a father of many nations. It's either Abram and Sarah couldn't have kids. And you know, when God tells us promises, and it doesn't seem that these promises are being fulfilled, we in our human structure want to try to figure out how we can help God out. And so that's what Abram did. He figures a way in which he can help God out, and so Abram, under the advisement of Sarai, takes Sarai's Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and a baby boy, Ishmael, is born to them. And I could spend a whole sermon talking about this family and how messed up it was, really, but through time and failures, Abram began to learn to trust in God. And when Abram was 99 years old, still without a child, the Lord appeared to him again. And here's what the Lord said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfulness, with faithfulness and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. The Bible tells us that Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you father of many nations. Now, he has Ishmael, but he doesn't have a child from Sarai yet. He goes on to say, I will make you very fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings comes from you, and I will establish my covenant as an, what does it say? Everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Wow. 99 years old. Blessings, a covenant, descendants, and a land that they will possess. But it's an everlasting possession, and that's what we want to focus on and think about, keeping that in your mind as we go forward. But this was what Abraham was promised. So when Abram was 100 years old, now called Abraham, he and Sarai have a baby boy, and his name is Isaac. 
the promised child. Because nothing is impossible with God. We like to work things out from our own limited perspective, but old age didn't matter to God. He can make and does fulfill his promises. Soon after Isaac was weaned, the first great war between the sons of Abraham took place. Listen to the anger and the bitterness. The child grew, that's Isaac, and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid, can you believe this, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. You see, this was his boy. It wasn't with Sarah, but it was still of his, his seed. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. So here you have Abraham who the promise was made. And then Isaac the promise continues to be reset. Two nations come from those two boys. Now we can say two religions through Isaac the religion of Judaism and through Islam, they claim Ishmael as their father. And we'll get more onto that later. Now there's a story I can't help but tell, even though we will have to cover quite a bit in this sermon very rapidly. But I want to take the time to tell this one little story. Isaac is now 17 years old. And Abraham is obviously very, very old. And Abraham has learned many lessons in his life. One of which is to trust in God fully. He knows the voice of God. But there is a waiting for Abraham the greatest of all tests and the hardest of all trials. The Bible tells us about it in Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 and 2. And the Bible says, let's see if I can get it there. Um that the Lord um, called out to Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Isn't that an interesting way to say it? Take your son, your only son, the very special one whom you love, take him, Isaac, and go to the region of where? Don't forget that, Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. The life journey of Abraham is mixed with separation and deception, sexual schemes, doing it man's way rather than God's. I can imagine only on the early morning hour, Abraham arising and no doubt a little sad, and he says very little, probably very little to Sarah regarding this journey. Abraham and Isaac set off with two of their trusted servants. 
He knew the journey would take several days, and so the Bible tells us that they load up food and wood and all the necessities for the journey. Now, the destination at first glance really seems to be nonchalant, but investigating this journey, it, they go to a place that actually becomes the center and the epicenter of the world. And you'll find out about this as we study here this morning. The Bible tells us that on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw this place in the distance, this Mount Moriah. And he says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I go with the boy over there. I love what he answers. He says, we will worship and then we will come back. We will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on the, his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac asked a question. He spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham's reply, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went up the hill together. Up the hill they went to the place we call Mount Moriah. They worked together to build an altar of sacrifice. Stone upon stone is assembled much like that which was first built when Abel built that altar and fire came down from heaven to devour his offering. And I'm sure all the time as he's building this altar, Abraham is thinking millions of thoughts to himself, racing through his mind. He's thinking about all those times he did not depend on the Lord, all those times he had his human wisdom, and he was thinking to himself, I cannot put human wisdom to work. I must follow the way of the Lord. Finally, the altar is finished. And now he had to explain to his only son, Isaac, that he would be the sacrifice today. Isaac had heard all the stories of deliverance and how trusting God is the only right way. And all we are told is that Abraham bound Isaac and put him on the altar. And he lifts up his knife to take the life of this long long-awaited son. The Bible tells us in Genesis 22, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your, from me your son, your only son. And I love what the next verse says. Abraham looks up, and there in the thicket was a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the lamb and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. It is my prayer, dear family, that we will remember that when times get tough, and complicated and confusing, the Lord will provide. We can trust in Him. 
Darkness may surround us. Uncertainty may confront us. But we can trust in the Lord our God. Even if death death were to come our way, we are safe in the hands of the Lord. Isaac grew and married Rebekah, and they had two sons, Jacob and Esau. But before we go on with the lineage of Isaac, what about the heritage of Ishmael? Well, look at this text. This is amazing. The Bible says Ishmael lived This is Jacob's brother. Ishmael lived 137 years. Isaac, yeah, this is Isaac's brother. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from uh, Havilah to Sur, near the eastern border of Egypt, which is very near where the war is happening right now, as you go towards Asher. Now look at this. And they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. Isn't that interesting? They lived in hostility. You see, the reason Islam looks at Abraham as their father is that they believe that Ishmael is the promised one, not Isaac. Like they even would tell you that Ishmael was the one that was to be sacrificed on the altar, not Isaac. So now Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and they're very different boys. Now we can't possibly cover the details of this relationship, but it's extremely important to note that God promised Jacob the inheritance and the blessing of his father, even though he was the younger of the two. The Bible kind of gives us an interesting uh, description of their birth. The babies jostled each other within her, that's Rebecca, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his old body was like a hairy garment, so they called him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Like Abraham of old, Jacob thought he needed to assist God in getting the birthright, and so he deceived his father Isaac, now an old man. It's really a sad story if you think about it, because the last time Isaac or Jacob is going to see his father Isaac, there is a bloodthirst among the family. Esau hates his brother. In fact, he wants to kill him. Jacob has to leave quickly. A quick goodbye to his mother. He doesn't even tell his father, no doubt, goodbye. And he will never see his parents again. And Jacob runs in the dark of night to flee for his life. Esau is very angry. He wants to kill Jacob and solve the birthright issue once and for all. 
But we must move quickly and rapidly through time. And after years, and I mean many years away, we finally find Jacob now returning to his homeland with his wives and his children and his many servants, sheep and cattle. Jacob is a wealthy man, but he's also a very concerned man. For he remembers his deceptions and the angry words that were exchanged. That's one thing interesting about the emotions. Something can happen to you 20 years ago. And if you want to go there in your mind, you can go there and get in there the emotions right then and there. And you can feel the intensity of those emotions. For us, sometimes it may be a song. Or maybe it'll be another person or a voice or something. And all of a sudden we're there, transported back 20, 30 years ago. We can re-experience the emotion. And Jacob had been calling on God because he was scared of the danger of seeing his brother. He didn't know how to fully prepare for this reunion. And so he sent messengers ahead of him to Esau to prepare the way. And here's what he instructed them. He said, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant, Jacob, says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in his eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. That doesn't sound good. Jacob hears that Esau has an army. He believes that Esau is seeking revenge for the stolen birthright so many years before. The Bible tells us that he separates the people groups so that if one group is attacked, the other can flee for their life. He instructs his servants with, with massive gifts of flocks and valuables to be given to Esau. And so it's kind of a big train. First is his beloved wife, Rebecca, and all their family. Then Leah and all her family. And then the maiden servants and all their family. And then out in front is Jacob. And then in front of Jacob is three sets of of servants. And so as Esau is coming towards Jacob, Esau meets the first set of servants, and then the second set of servants, and then the third set of servants. And each servant says, my Lord, Esau, your servant Jacob has given you all these gifts. Jacob has it all planned out. The night has come. Jacob is all alone. His camp is broken up into these pieces if war were to break out. And Jacob finds a quiet place to pray to God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. The Bible tells us, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he was wrestling with him. And the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless 
you bless me. And the man said to him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer become Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. The name of Israel is born out of struggle. And I think of that as a sinner. In my relationship with the Lord, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. The enemy is always trying to hurt us, damage us, think that we're less than, think that we're not valuable. It's a struggle. The struggle against self-will, the struggle against sinfulness. But now Jacob becomes Israel. The next morning, Jacob is limping, his hip is injured, and now as a cripple, he must confront his brother and trust that God will deliver him. And actually, the scene is very tender. The Bible tells us Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground. How many times? Seven times as Esau approached his brother Jacob. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the woman and children. Who are these with you, he asked. And Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given to your servant. Esau asked, what is the meaning of all these flocks and herds that I met? You know, the three that were coming before Jacob. To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I have already had plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. How many times and how many nights did Jacob wrestle with the deception of his past? Praying to God for forgiveness for what he had done. And hoping that somehow his brother could forgive him. And now he says, you have received me favorably. Please accept the presents that were brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. These three patriarchs are to the Jews, the father of their people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now Jacob's name is changed, changed to Israel, and his children become the children of Israel. And of course, we know he had how many sons? Twelve sons, and one of his name is Joseph. The other item that we must quickly understand to link all this together, and we're going to do this super fast, is this Joseph this one son of 12. And as you know the story, Joseph was sent by his brothers to, as a slave to Egypt. And after 20 years in Egypt, Joseph becomes second in command only under Pharaoh. And he calls his father 
Jacob to bring his whole family tribe to Goshen there in Egypt and to live. And at first, this was an amazing blessing this nation of Israel had until they became slaves of the Egyptians. And for 400 years, they would live in servitude to the Egyptians. Joseph has died. I've often thought, when you're working for a boss or you're working for someone and then they change heads, you know, I've often thought of Exodus 1.8. It's an interesting text. Because Exodus 1.8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Didn't remember Joseph. Didn't know who he was. And so he then saw this group of people in Goshen, in his own land, getting bigger and bigger and bigger into a nation. And he said, what are we going to do with these people? They don't speak like us. They don't look like us. And they enslaved the people of Israel. And of course, there's another story. The nation of Israel has a deliverance with with the beautiful story of, of Moses. And eventually, the nation of Israel crossed the Red Sea. And there are many setbacks and great wickednesses within their numbers. Yet God wants to lead these people into the promised land for which God had promised to Abraham. And they have prophets, and they have kings. And of course, we cannot forget King David and King Solomon. For it was King David who wanted to build a temple, a permanent temple for God. But God would not let him because of the bloodstains on his hands. So God gave King Solomon the privilege of building the first temple. Now, I'll tell you something you might not know. You know where that first temple was built? On Mount Moriah. The place where God would provide. The very place where Abraham had built the altar to sacrifice his son Isaac. And as we swiftly go through the Old Testament, it is a story of God trying to reach the hearts of his people, the children of Israel. God would say in the minor prophets, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. The the children of Israel became a, a form It was just a religious action. It wasn't part of their heart. They didn't understand the value of the sacrifice. Israel had become to learn systems full of traditions and facts about the law, but their heart was far from God, and God wanted them to seek him with a relationship, not out of duty or form. Another beautiful text you all know from the minor prophets, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee? but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God wanted for the nation of Israel. But Israel, the nation, rebelled and sought after foreign gods. God had wanted their allegiance, their loyalty, and their love, but the nation was afar from God. God tried to care for the nation of Israel from the time of Moses when he led them out of Egypt from captivity to the time when he brought them back from captivity in Babylon. All these times, God was trying to bring their hearts as a nation back to God. 
another minor prophet, Hosea, God said, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the time when the Old Testament closes with the book of Malachi to the time when Matthew opens, there is 400 years of silence. The nation of Israel has become formalism. Of course, Rome has grown up during this time. Rome has taken over the country. But there is no prophets. There are no miracles. There are no visions. Only the time clock of Bible prophecy ticks on. And then on the scene, out of nowhere, comes the visit of an angel to a young girl telling her, then the angel of, uh, said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for I have found favor, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear forth a son and shall call his name, hallelujah, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of? Jacob forever, and of the, his kingdom there will be no end. Now, family, I don't want you to just see the Christmas story here. I want you to notice two very important Old Testament people being mentioned by the angel. First, the throne of David, and even more consequential, reign over the house of Jacob forever. Who is Jacob? He is Israel. Now I'm going to start putting some pieces together now that you will only hear in a Seventh-day Adventist church, okay? Because what we believe is Seventh-day Adventist and what I'm going to be preaching from here on forth, you do not hear in other churches because what I'm teaching right now, they do not believe. So I'm going to do my very best to support what I'm going to tell you from Scripture. Remember where I read earlier from Scripture the Lord saying in Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. What's the name of the son in this text? Israel, right? Well, let's look what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 2. Now when they had departed, that's the magi and the wise men from the east, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother the night and departed for Egypt and went there and, and, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. Just like Israel of old when they fled to Egypt to escape a famine, so Jesus, the new Israel, escapes from King Herod. So we go. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who becomes Israel, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and family, Jesus becomes the new Israel. He becomes Israel. What makes a Jew a Jew is their birth line back 
to Abraham. And so it's no wonder that genealogy means so much to the Jewish people because the genealogy is where it sets up who did you come from? And that's why Matthew starts out in Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, the connection of Jesus is he is the new Israel, the everlasting Israel. But now, one of the most profound parts about this truth as Jesus is Israel Hang on now, this is amazing. Because those who are in Christ are Israel today. We are God's Israel. The Apostle Paul lays this out in many texts, but I'm not going to share all of them with you. But here's one quick one. Paul says, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. In other words, the circumcision was that sign of Jewishness. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, no, no. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Paul makes it very clear that you want to be a Jew in the New Testament It starts right here in your heart. Paul would be even more clear later on in Galatians when he would say, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then he doesn't stop there. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise of Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. You see, so many in Christendom today believe that the Jewish people today are still the people of God. And I'm not anti-Semitic. I love Jewish people. I love all people of the earth. And I realize that, that the Jewish people today are living in a hostile environment. And I would only wish them peace. But dear family, Jewish people did not follow God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Jews of Jesus disowned their Messiah who came and participated in his death as we all do. And we want to see all Jewish people saved in the same way that we have the joy of knowing salvation through Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus changed the landscape. For this Messiah could walk on water. He could heal the sick. He could make the blind see. This Messiah was from the tribe of Judah, born in the city of David with a lineage that goes straight back to Abraham. And even more, he kept trying to break through the traditions of the Jewish people and their mindsets. Listen, in John chapter uh, 4, it is no mistake that John includes the story of the woman at the well. The Samaritan, the Samaritan who doesn't even live with her husband, but lives with other men. And Jesus spends time 
sharing the gospel with her and then goes into Samaria and spends days sharing the gospel with these people who are hated by the traditions of the Jews. It is no mistake that Matthew records the healing of a a Roman centurion servant, a Gentile. And then he says to the people standing there, after this man has shown great faith that Jesus can heal his servant, Jesus says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, that's the foreigners outside of Israel, and will take their places at the feast with who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You see how Jesus was even trying to widen it there. He was trying to help the people see the household of faith, the lineage of Abraham comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. In other words, all the promises of Abraham are given to those who have put their trust and their faith in the lives of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. God wants us to know about our inheritance, dear family. It is by faith and the connection with Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We will continue to see troublous times in the Middle East. There's one final point I want to make this morning. You remember the temple. This was the first one, artistic imagination of Solomon's temple that was first built. And then, of course, we know that that temple was destroyed when the Babylonians came in. And so later on in the Old Testament, Zerubbabel came and built a new temple, bigger and better and a huge structure. And they built it on a flat mount. Now, it's interesting to note that when Jesus came along, King Herod had come, Herod had come, and he built the temple even bigger than Zerubbabel. He added to it. The disciples and Jesus walked in and out of that temple enlarged by Herod there on Mount Moriah. The disciples... They, uh, the Bible tells us, we're walking around, looking at all the magnificent buildings. And um, they had a question for Jesus. They asked Jesus about all these buildings. And Jesus left the temple and was walking away with the disciples, came up to him, said to him, call his attentions to the buildings. You know, look at all these beautiful buildings. And Jesus said, you see all these things? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now we need to quickly understand something here. When Solomon built the temple, it was built on a mountain. And so the mountain had to be flattened. So what Solomon did is he built a huge outer wall, huge outer wall, and then they filled inside that wall and they made a flat area where they could build the temple. And that's where, that's where Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, and Herod's temple, that's where it all was built, right there on that big flat. Right there on Mount Moriah. But Jesus said not one stone would be left. Talking about the buildings on top of that flatness there, you see. And if you were to go over there today, 
That's the wall that holds up the flatness, and those are the rocks from the temple itself. They're all broken down. The prophecy of Jesus came true. That sacred flat spot, sacred to the Jews. And you know, to this day, they still want to sacrifice. They still want that temple to be built. Did you know that? Many Christians today, in fact, in most churches today, they'll tell you, well, we believe the prophecies is that that temple's going to be rebuilt. Why? To do a sacrifice that doesn't even mean anything because the cross has put all that away. We don't need a sacrifice in the temple anymore. But for most evangelical Christians, they believe the temple will be rebuilt. And that's causing a lot of heartache. Because you know what's on that flat top these days? It's called the Dome of the Rock. Built by the Islam religion. The place where supposedly Muhammad was translated back and forth in visions of heaven. Very sacred spot. It's the epicenter of our world. The three main world religions, Christianity, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Today, if you go over there to Israel, that outer wall that holds up the whole flat top, they call it the wailing well wall. Where does that wall, the western wall, that was originally built by Solomon for the temple that no longer exists. But dear family, there is a temple that still exists. And that temple, the Bible would say, would be you and I. And the Holy Spirit lives in our temple. You are a temple to the Lord God Almighty. Three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all converge at this site. No wonder there's so much trouble in the Middle East. And I will tell you, dear family, that there will be trouble until the coming of Jesus into this earth. But family, we must know and believe that when we acknowledge the Lord Jesus as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as our Lord, that we are faithfully included into the inheritance that was promised to Father Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And guess what? We don't need a place. We need a person. We need Jesus Christ and his sweet Holy Spirit dwelling within. And one day that Christ will break through the clouds of the sky and he will come to take his people home. For my home is not on this earth. I'm just a sojourner here. Whether I live or whether I die, I just want to breathe right now in service for God. And then one day open my eyes and see the coming of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So for all of you young people, I say that to include myself who lived through the 70s, 
you're going to recognize this song. You know, it kind of goes with the history of Pass It On and Kumbaya. And we've revived that for you today. For, and for you younger people who may not have lived through that, it's a new experience for you. Please stand. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in this mountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For a part of the family, the family of God. You will notice we say brother and sisters round here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears. And rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. I am part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From ransom to riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Gracious Lord God, thank you for the adoption. Thank you for including us as your Israel today. And we're acquainted with the struggle. The struggle is real. But we are not left alone. We have not been deserted. Jesus, you are very near. You are in this room. Jesus, you are very near in, the, in, the, in, the, in our homes and in, in our cars and in those moments of temptation. You are there. And I just want to pray, O oh Lord God, that we would notice and accept and receive your Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Encourage our hearts to walk faithfully with you. And we look forward, Jesus, that day when one day all the sickness and sadness and wars and savage, savageness of what humans can do to humans will be over. And one day we will look up 
and see our Lord and our Savior in the clouds of heaven coming to take us home. And we'll become weightless. And in the blink of an eye, we will be changed. And we will be immortal ever to be with our Lord and our Savior. Jesus, what a day that will be. Thank you for such an amazing inheritance. We love you, Jesus. Take our hearts, take our lives, and may we walk faithfully with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.